Thanks for listening to the Revival Today podcast with evangelist Jonathan Shuttlesworth. To stay connected, check us out on Instagram, Facebook, or online at revivaltoday.com. Now, here's evangelist Jonathan. I want to tell you this. The devil is not going to write the last chapter of the United States of America. I'll tell you uh, another thing while I'm on the subject. 2020, 2021, and 2022 were obviously three years of assault against this country in a litany of ways. And then the Bible says in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, when they praised God that the Lord sent ambushments against the armies that were attacking the children of God. And they all began to destroy each other. And the Bible says he wiped out all their enemies. And then they spent the next three days gathering up the spoil or the plunder. And the Bible says when what happened went out. End of 2 Chronicles 20. When the report of what happened went out, their fear of God came upon the enemies of the children of God, and they had rest round about on every side from all their uh, troublers. So the devil does not have continual permission to attack. When you repel him, he has to go back and regroup. Luke chapter 4. It is written, devil changed the subject. It is written, devil changed the subject. It is written, then Satan left him alone for a season. There's a season where the devil has to leave you alone. Can you say amen? amen. Life can't be fighting all the time. And uh, that's the difference between the tribulation and what we're in now. In the tribulation, Satan does have permission to just continually assault, but he, he can't operate like that now. And America was tested. The church was tested. 2020, 2021, 2022, but we stood the test. Can you say amen? If I pass the mic around, a lot of people could tell about the things that happened in the last three years that were the harshest things you ever went through. But the devil already hit you with his best shot. It wasn't even enough to keep you out of a Monday night revival meeting with a bunch of strangers. So the best days are not behind you. The best are, are still to come. Jesus is not coming back. Sorry, I'm not used to the, the clapping. I'm from up north where people were born without personalities. So you have to forgive me. Jesus is not coming back for a weak, defeated church. He's coming back for a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. And we're going to be a part of that church. Can you say amen? amen. Well, I, I got word how many people were here. I know there were people in the overflow tent till it flooded. What happened to the May flowers? The April showers were supposed to be over. Um, so I, I, I called Magalis back in my office. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look. Not that I'm going to pull the trigger on anything yet, but I'm just seeing what other auditoriums are available in the area because clearly Monday's supposed to be a down night in revival meetings, and we're not having that problem. So uh, I, anyway, we'll see, we'll see what the Lord does, but revival meetings grow. If you, have a, if you have a speaker in the biggest crowd Sunday and it slowly filters out till there's a holy, hand few on Friday, a holy handful on Friday, you have the wrong speaker. Meetings are supposed to grow. Everything with God is predicated on increase. First the blade, then the ear, then the full corn on the ear. I'll tell you what else is interesting. Even in a room this size, if you look around, it's a fulfillment of Bible prophecy. You couldn't call this a white meeting, but there's white people here. You couldn't call it a Hispanic meeting, though there's Hispanic people here. You couldn't call it a black church, though there's plenty of, of uh, black people here. I even brought a few of my own. Amen. <laughs> my friends Tony and Clarita and Noah and Abraham and the whole crew that I run with. Amen. And uh, one time me and, Ab me and Abraham and a couple other guys were getting on the plane and the guy at the FBO went, are you guys rappers or something? I said, no. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm the record producer. 
No, we're preachers. So anyway, then you don't have all old people. It's not a bunch of gray-haired, white-haired people talking about how good the church used to be. And we're praying that one day those days will come back again. And it's not all young people. You can say it's a youth meeting. You got mothers and fathers. You have young adult, a lot of young adults. One thing you see in this new generation, whether it's the Asbury revival or whatever, is they want the power of God. They don't want a smoke show in a church that looks like a club. You know, they actually did a, um, a study, and the young generation, Generation Z, which is younger than millennials, when, when polled, they want a church that was stained glass that looks like a church. They don't want a club. Their parents went to clubs, and it ruined their lives. They want to go to church. And so I think it's great that this meeting started 24 hours ago, 25 hours ago on Sunday night, and we're already having to think about making other plans of what we're going to do to house the people. And I'm going to tell you, before Jesus comes back, the crowds that come to hear the gospel, there will not be buildings big enough to hold them. And I know, I know these sports owners all built new stadiums and stuff thinking it's for their teams, but it's not. This last day move of God's not going to be under tents and sawgrass like it had to in the 50s with Oral Roberts in them. There weren't, other than armories, there was nowhere to put people if you had more than uh, 1,000 people. There weren't churches that big. There weren't ballrooms that big. So they had to get these tents constructed. And you know Pentecostals, now they think tents are holy. So the churches will have a summer tent meeting out on the church lawn in view of a building that has air conditioning. It's not the tent. <laughs> uh, did I hit the bullseye? I was preaching in Michigan one time. The pastor wanted to have a tent meeting. It was on the church property. And uh, it had to be 120 degrees. I was preaching. I thought I saw Jesus, but it was just heat stroke. <laughs> And I, as I'm preaching, I look out the side. There's a beautiful multi-million dollar church with air conditioning. I was thinking, what are we doing? Why are we here? The purpose of tents was, A, there weren't buildings to hold the crowds. And then, B, there was a, an evangelist who was a friend of our family named R.W. Schambach. And he, he would take his tent where there weren't churches. He used to hold a meeting in Yankee Stadium parking lot in the Bronx when baseball season was out. And... Um, my cousin was there when they prepared the crusade ground. They had, to, they had to sweep the grounds before they could put the tent pegs in, clear the ground. They filled a pickup truck flatbed full of syringes and found three dead bodies. That's where Brother Shambuck would put his tent up. The worst part of the projects. If you didn't grow up in the projects, then it's all the projects. If you ever go to the projects to preach or whatever, or to buy some off-market pharmaceuticals, you'll find out there's good projects and bad projects where people in the projects would go, I live in the projects, but I don't live in the bad projects. Brother Shambuck would take his tent and put it there, a 5,000-seater, and stay there for a week, two weeks, three weeks. They'd have 5,500 people coming a night. You know, when you have a dr uh, the head of a gang's mother get healed of stage four cancer and the son finds out, it starts blowing up. It, where, where, you know, the leader of the gang can make attendance mandatory at the meeting. That kind of stuff would happen. In fact, anybody ever hear R.W. Schambach? I'll tell you a funny thing that happened at his meeting one time is that would happen at his meetings. You know, you'd, he'd get, somebody's mother would get saved that had gang connections, and then the son would come and bring the gang. They'd get saved, stuff like that. So by two weeks into the meeting, he not only has a large crowd, he has people that love, love him. You saved my mother's life by the power of God. So he's preaching one, one taking the offering, you know, those meetings were th about, back then, about $300,000 for a week of meetings. And he would go into it, 
he'd take a 90-day loan, pay for the meeting, and then believe for it to come in in the meeting in the poorest parts of America. Worst part of Chicago, worst part of Philadelphia. I mean, like the last place you'd go, believe in God, for 300000 to come in in a week. When he took offerings, there'd be big rubber-made trash barrels. That's what he's believing for. Some churches, just by the size of the buckets, you know they don't have much faith. It's like a little wicker basket that can hold like three checks and a dollar bill. So Brother Shambach had, had rubber-made trash barrels, and he was, he was re- taking the offering. He'd exhort on giving for 45 or 50 minutes, try to get the people in faith with, the, with their money. Well, when he got to about minute 42, this guy stood up. He was a white guy, and he started yelling at Brother Shambach. We, people have come here to be healed, and all you've talked about is money for one hour. You should be ashamed of yourself. Well, when he got about three sentences in, there were people that had not been saved that long, that loved Brother Shambach, that were in gangs, that all started to stand up and reach for stuff. <laughs> and the ushers, it looked like the ushers threw that guy out of the meeting, but they were saving his life because there were men coming with weapons and women coming with high-heeled shoes. They are going to beat that guy to death during the offering. It had been the, the first fatality during an offering since Ananias and Sapphira. <laughs> And that's the kind of stuff that happens in revival meetings. When the move of God hits, you know, when you hear ministers talk about how depressed they are, how hard it is in the ministry, I I need an eight-month sabbatical, you're not doing it with the Holy Ghost. Because when you do it with the Holy Ghost, funny stuff happens in the meetings. Interesting stuff happens in the meetings. Amazing things happen in the meetings. The Bible says they would leave Jesus' meetings saying, Surely the Lord has done great things. What wonderful things we have witnessed today. The blind see. Anybody say the blind see. see. I have a friend named, uh, I don't know what his name is in real life, but on Instagram his name's Preacher Jay. He's from Nigeria. I never bothered to ask him what his actual name is. I've just called him Preacher Jay since we've been friends. He came over from Nigeria I, uh, we found each other on Instagram during the lockdown because he was still holding crusades during a military enforced lockdown in Nigeria during COVID. He went under a tree and called a meeting and had a few thousand people show up at 23 years old and preached and prayed for the sick and all that. So when I saw that he did that with, you know, he, he, he could die. He, he, could, he could be thrown in jail, no recourse, no bill of rights for a fair and expedient trial. You just disappear. It's a Muslim uh, uh, prime president in Nigeria. And he's preaching anyway. So I contacted him and told him, great job. Well, he ended up coming to America. I said, how long are you going to be in America? And he told me. I said, let me schedule, let me text some of my friends. I don't ask to come preach at churches, but I've made an exception to that twice. One was with another guy that worked in miracles like that. So I texted my friends and said, if six of you are interested, I'm going to get a tour bus and just hit six cities in a week and have miracle services. I don't mean where you talk about miracles. This guy has miracles, and that there's people that need miracles, stage four cancer, a stroke, you know, where without the power of God, you're not, you're in trouble, you're going to die. People have kids that were born with problems, all that stuff, so I want to bring him to churches where people that need a miracle can at least have a place to go to receive a miracle, so it filled right up, I got five texts back, like, in five minutes, come here, so we took a bus around, well, one of the places we went was Tulsa, Oklahoma. By the way, that'll be the last time you ever see me traveling by bus. I used to like John Madden, and he liked buses, so I thought it couldn't be that bad. We had to charter planes two times in one week from the bus breaking down. They broke, it, and I used like a top bus company. So t- 
Tonight at the altar, I'm going to forgive the company because you can see it's still coming up in my speech. So I'm not fully delivered from what happened that week, but I'm going to get free tonight in Jesus' name. You can all pray for the reverend. So we, we go to Tulsa, and uh, the auditorium was full of people like this. And I had him. He just started greeting the crowd and telling people, you know, a little bit about himself and what Jesus does and what Jesus has been doing in the meetings. This girl in row two on this side points at him. She's eight or nine years old and went, Mommy, I can see. And the mom looked over and I saw them whisper to each other. And she was pointing out things to the mom, and the mom and dad cried their eyes out. I didn't know anything about it, because I got there about like I got here before I could talk to anybody or anything. They said, our daughter was blind, and we were bringing her to the meeting hoping she'd get prayed for. And before she could even get prayed for, just sitting in the meeting, God popped both eyes open. I was there for that. Nobody told me that story. I was there. He's a miracle working God. They said, what wonderful things we've seen today. The blind see. The deaf hear. The cripple walk. The lepers are cleansed. Leprosy. You know, it's, it was funny during COVID to hear preachers talk about what does ministry look like in this age of COVID? How would Jesus have responded if there was an extremely communicable disease going around? Uh, did you ever hear about leprosy? <laughs> leprosy was such a wicked, awful disease that society made up their mind that they were going to put them in camps and if they were ever caught among the general population, they weren't going to be fined $5,000 or $1,000 or cited by the mayor. They were to be stoned until dead. And a leper came, Matthew 8, 1 to 3. A leper came beseeching Jesus and said, Sir, I know if you want to, you can heal me and make me clean. Jesus, before he healed him, corrected him. I want to be thou made whole. And instantly... The leprosy disappeared. The lepers are cleansed. That guy got to go back home to his wife and kids. He didn't have to live in a... Sickness is demonic. It ruins life. It strips the joy out of living. Can't go out with your grandkids. Can't go to the mall. Don't want to go out with the family. You start dying before you're even dead. But one of the reasons Jesus came was not just to forgive sin. He forgives sin and he heals every manner of sickness and disease. That's the difference between Jesus and Buddha or Muhammad or anybody else. Jesus didn't just lecture and speak about things. He carried power over every oppression of the devil. Now I have good news for the people of Tennessee tonight. Jesus has not changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. When you call on him, he'll answer you, pull you out of whatever pit you're in, and set your feet on the rock to stay. If you believe that tonight in Tennessee, take your anointed Tennessee hand and do what the Bible says. Clap your hands, all ye people, and shout unto God with the voice of triumph. It's going to be a good week. Somebody shout hallelujah. Bible says in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus taught, then preached, then healed all the sick. So Jesus didn't do his message and then retreat to the back room to have hors d'oeuvres. And if you paid for a VIP ticket to his meeting, then you could go shake his hand. He laid his hands on the sick. He, he taught, then preached. Luke said as he was preaching, the power of God was present to heal. 
The Word of God's living. It's not just motivational speech or nice words to get you through a difficult time. God's Word is a sword. It carries power to bust the head of that loser called the devil. I'm going to tell you right now, not to oversimplify things, but whatever you're battling, the root is the devil. I'm not saying you're demon-possessed. I'm not saying the devil lives in your house. But there will be no abuse. There will be no divorce in the new Jerusalem or heaven. There were no handicapped parking spaces in the Garden of Eden. There were no pediatric cancer centers in the Garden of Eden. Sickness, oppression, mental problems, spirit of fear, those things came. An old preacher named John Alexander Dowie, he said, sickness is the foul offspring of its father, Satan, and its mother, sin. When those two losers get thrown off the scene into the bottomless pit, they will cease to exist. The lion will lay down with the lamb. Everything you're seeing right now, it's not Democrat. It's not Republican. There's a devil that looks to destroy nations. But thank God, he's not the only agent on the scene. Jesus gave his church authority over all the power of the devil. The devil's not over your head. The devil's not eye to eye. The devil's the same place today that he was in 2019. He's under your feet. He's going to get thrown out of every part of your life today in the name of Jesus. Well, go ahead. Clap your hands, all ye people. Shout unto God. Mark 16, 20. And the Lord worked with them confirming what they said with many signs and wonders. Not a few. Many. We don't believe God does that kind of stuff anymore. That's your problem. The Bible doesn't say that, though. you got to stick with the Bible. Man changes, denominations change, but the Bible never changes. The Bible is not a Las Vegas buffet where you get to pick the parts you want and leave the parts you don't. The whole part is for today. The holiness parts for today, the miracle parts for today, all the parts are for today. This week in Tennessee, we're going to experience together the raw, effectual power of God's Word. And it's a wonderful thing. It's God's antidote for living in 2023. He who builds his life on my Word and on my teaching is like a wise man who builds his life on the rock. You're not exempted from the wind. You're not exempted from the waves. Jesus said the same winds blow, the same waves crash, but afterwards the house is still standing firm. So though we live in this world, we don't go into some kind of cocoon in the same economy as the world, everything. But those things now don't have power to take you out. Because your life is not built on sand, it's built on rock. And nothing can take down the man who's rooted in the Word of God. So let me tell you right up front, congratulations in advance on the best eight months you've ever had. From May till December, you're going to enjoy the blessing of Almighty God. So I'm going to play you a video, and the reason we, have, we film this stuff is because there's people that think this stuff's fake, but it's not fake. And so we started to hit a vein in September of last year where the kind of miracles we would have probably like once every two years or so just started to hit like a lot, like sometimes a few a week in a meeting. When I say, you know, the Bible talks about notable miracles, notable miracles. I'll tell you about one notable miracle. I just went to the... Um, a couple days ago. What's today, Monday? 
Saturday afternoon, I was in this Morris Sorello Legacy Center, which is in uh, San Diego, California, preaching there. You know, how did that guy's ministry get so big? They have $220 million worth of property in San Diego. They own a hotel and conference center in San Diego, like prime real estate, right off Interstate 8. Well, how, what, what made those guys' ministries blow up? I was preaching one time in Barbados. Say with me, notable miracles. I'll tell you like what one is. So I, when I talk to older preachers, I like asking them some things because they're going to go to heaven and then the stories all go on the ground with them. So I said, uh, the pastor's wife had passed away, or the pastor had passed away, but his wife was still there. So I said, how did this church, they had 1,500 people, it was the biggest church in Barbados. I said, how did this church get so big? How did it start? She said, have you ever heard of Morris Sorello? I said, oh yeah. She said, he came in the 60s to do an island-wide crusade. And when he finished preaching, she said there was a man who was, he had one normal leg and the other leg from birth was born where it was like, I'm not talking about an evangelist that puts one of the one legs an inch and a half shorter and you, you grow it out. This guy's leg stopped at the, where the knee of the other one was and then he had a little deformed foot that just hung there. So he begged at the hospital and there was only one hospital on the island. So everyone knew who this guy was because everybody, you have a rough time in life trying to go through all life without going to the hospital. That's not an anti-faith confession. People get born, you know, you know people that had to go to the hospital, go pray for them. So, you, you know, somebody, you go to the hospital at some point in life and there would be this guy with one leg, half the size of the other one, sitting there begging. So he was at the meeting on the field. Morris Cirillo had the ushers bring him up and did what the Lord told him to do. There's nine gifts of the Spirit. One of them's called working of miracles. Everybody say working of miracles. There's no gift, unfortunately, called waiting for miracles. But some people are trying that one out, and that's why they never get one. You don't wait for them. There's an action that God, like when he told Moses, wherefore, uh, Mo, Exodus 14 at verse 15, Wherefore dost thou cry unto me? Take the rod that I've given you and divide the water. You don't wait for me to part it. Tell the people to get moving. Then stretch forth your hand and divide the water. So working of miracles takes action. So he says, ushers, bring the man up on stage. He told the people later that the Lord showed him this in prayer, what to do that night. He took a folding chair and put it on the stage so the guy could stand with his good leg and then his other leg balanced on the chair, whatever there was of it. So Morris Cirillo held him and said, if the things I preached are true tonight, then when I pray, God's going to heal this man. People's eyebrows went up, even the Christians. Like, maybe you should start with like a cold or something. <laughs> and then he said he didn't even pray for him. He just said, in Jesus' name, and grabbed the chair and yanked it out from under him. So the crowd gasped, and even the pastors on the platform gasped, because, you know, it was like assaulting a, a, a disabled person. You pull the chair, fall straight to the ground. But she said, at 80 years old, she said, I was there. When he pulled the chair out, it looked like a leg fell out of his pants and the foot shot out. And she said, when that happened, everybody, not even people that weren't at the, at the meeting, started coming from the beach, and the altar was full of thousands of people from one miracle. That sounds like the book of Acts. And so she said, my husband was in his 20s, just starting out in the ministry. And when he saw all the people come forward to receive salvation... He said to Morris Cirillo, who's going to follow up on the, on the people? And Morris Cirillo, she said, turned his head around and looked at him angrily and went, why don't you do something about it? 
And he took that as his marching orders. He got a building, followed up on the people, and from that one miracle was where that large church on that island started. We serve a miracle working God. Many of you were here last night, and I started in my message talking about how Paul said in Romans 15. Um, I'll, I'll read it to you. Romans 15. This wasn't supposed to be the, our text for tonight, but it might end up being. How many are glad you came tonight? Amen. Amen. Then cookouts open until 2 a.m. so you can get a double blessing. <laughs> Romans chapter 10. Sorry, Romans 15. Verse 16. I'm a special messenger from Christ Jesus to you Gentiles. I brought you the gospel so that I might present you as an acceptable offering to God made holy by the Holy Spirit. So I have reason to be enthusiastic about all Christ Jesus has done through me in my service to God. Yet I dare not boast about anything except what Christ has done through me. Bringing the Gentiles to God by my message. Everybody say the word. word. So Jesus didn't just run around praying for people. If those guys really can do that, why don't they go to a hospital and pray for all the people that are there? It doesn't work like that. Jesus taught, then preached. God honors his word above his name. Can you say amen? There's people, they come to a meeting sick, and they're just like the preaching's just like some formality. Hey, when's he going to be done so he can pray for people? He sent his word, and it healed them, delivering them from the door of death. God's word brings healing, and God's word brings the faith to get people healed. You can't force miracles on people. People have to have faith. And Paul said, I brought the word, and it did that. So I have reason to be enthusiastic about all Christ has done through me, bringing the Gentiles to God by my message and by the way I worked among them. Now he's going to tell you how he worked among them. He wasn't passing out clean socks to homeless people or bottled water or blankets. And we, do, we feed 2,000 uh, people a day. 2,001 if you count my daughter. 2,000 people overseas a day that don't have any food. So I'm not knocking food ministries or blanket ministries or socks. But if all you do is put socks on the feet of unsafe people, then they just go to hell socked. You can go to hell with or without socks on. Jesus didn't come so people could get socks. He came so people could be redeemed by his blood. And so, yeah, you help people and do humanitarian things. But you notice how the power's in the gospel, because even during the lockdown, notice they allowed churches. It was too dangerous to meet on Sunday morning because of the virus. But Monday, you could have a feeding program at your church with 900 people in line, and nobody said a thing. You, church had to be shut for Sunday, but there would be open Monday for vaccination with the church full of people. So you notice the thing the devil doesn't like is the word. Because Paul said in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it, not Jesus, the gospel, the good news about Christ is the power of God at work saving everyone who believes. That word will get in your kidneys. That word will get in your bones and joints. It'll put new discs in your back just during the preaching. God's word carries God's power. And the way I worked among them. They were convinced by the power of miraculous signs and wonders and by the power of God's Spirit. In this way, I have fully preached the gospel of Jesus Christ from Jerusalem to Illyricum. In this way, 
by preaching the gospel and by working in signs and wonders. Did I fully preach the gospel of Jesus Christ? And last night we talked about how it's odd that to drive by churches and it says full gospel church. You know, if you're from another planet, it's like, well, then where's the half gospel churches? Where's the 20% gospel churches or the diet uh, churches? Uh, you know, what does that mean, full gospel? That's where they get it from. I fully preached the gospel because my message was not in word only, but in demonstration of the resurrection power of the Spirit. Paul said, in this way did I fully preach the gospel. So when you just give the Holy Ghost space to move, and, don't, and that's what they've robbed people of in America. Church starts, you know exactly what part of the service you're in. You know, if, if you come uh, 20 minutes late and they're singing slow songs, you're, okay, they've already done the fast songs. Now it's the slow songs. Then there's going to be announcements. Then there's going to be an offering. Then there's going to be a special song. Then there's going to be preaching. Then there's going to be, there's not even an altar call most places now, just prayer of dismissal. And then that's the end. But if you read Jesus' meetings and you read the church services in the book of Acts, they didn't operate like that. The Bible says in Acts chapter 10, even as Peter was saying these things, he was preaching to Italians in Cornelius' home. And the Bible says, even as Peter was saying these things, right in the middle of the message, the Holy Ghost fell on all who heard the message. And there could be no doubt about it, for they heard them speaking in other tongues and magnifying God. So there was no altar God. Now we're going to begin to transition from the preaching to those who would like to receive the Holy Spirit. No. He preached, and the power of God came behind the Word and hit the people that were in the meeting. Can you say amen? And that's the problem in America is not the wicked things that conservatives love to get worked up about. Those are manifestations of the actual problem. The problem is that for 30 years, the Holy Ghost has been kicked out of his own house. He's not welcome to move. Uh, we have another church service starting in about 15 minutes. We need to clear the parking lot. So if you need prayer, um, we have our prayer partners up at the corner. You can go to them. They're going to pass you communion on the way out. There's a box at the back if you didn't get a chance to give. Traveling mercies to everybody. And you just rush people in separate them from their money like a fast food restaurant and kick them out. And that's not church. I said, that's not church. I don't understand what preachers are in such a hurry about in their own building. You, they, they come up, uh, start apologizing right at the beginning. Hey, I'm not going to be long. I know, I know we already went a little long on announcements. I'm just going to share a few thoughts with you. Say, hey, buddy, what's the rush? You built a $16 million building, and you're using it for 85 minutes one day a week. But those days are over. God's going to shake America with a genuine move of the Holy Ghost in this last hour of time. And I got news for you. Tennessee's not going to be left out, and you and your family are not going to be left out. Can you say amen? What happens when you let the Holy Ghost move? It grows, it, it grows the church. They didn't have real organized service. I'm not for disorganization. I've worn a suit coat and stuff. I showered. <laughs> but, you know, if you read the church services in the book of Acts, if you showed up late to Peter's church service on Sunday, they could be carrying out a dead body named Ananias. And then you say, how'd that person die? Pastor killed her. <laughs> or killed her. And then the Bible says three hours later, the wife came. Nobody sent her a text message to let her know what happened. And then she died too. And then that was three hours later in the same church service. So I'm, no, don't get quiet. I'm not gearing you up that I'm gonna, we're going to be here till midnight. But I'm just saying church was, you can't run things differently than the Bible shows you. Let me put it in the positive. 
To get what they got, you have to do what they did. You can't run some 20% version of church and be, be iffy about healing and, and, the, and nervous about the move of the Spirit and then wonder why church is tough sledding and you have to have fish fry dinners and spaghetti dinners to raise money and what it, fashion shows and whatever, pack a pew Sunday, whoever brings the most people. You got to end capital campaigns and have outside groups come in to raise money. That's on you. Because if you leave the Holy Ghost, he'll let you do your own thing. God said in Chronicles, as long as you stay with me, I'll stay with you. But if you turn your back on me, then I'll turn my back on you. Yeah, I know that doesn't go over well because how many know no matter what we do, he'll just keep running after us. No, he actually won't. God's not doing any running. He's seated in heaven. Can you say amen? Not chasing people down. He sent his son to die for everybody, and it's the church's job to preach it and call them in. And when you do that, then the same God that did what he did in the Bible will do that through anybody that'll commit to the precepts of his word. In fact, you don't even have to turn to Acts chapter 7. These are easy people to preach to. No wonder preachers all camp out in the south. I could get used to this. Acts 7. Now when you find Acts 7, go back one to the left to Acts 6. Acts 6, 8. Stephen, a man, Acts 6, verse 8. Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. But one day some men from the synagogue of freed slaves, as it was called, started to debate with him. They were Jews from Cyrene, and it's going to name all the places they're from. But no one could stand against the, the wisdom and the spirit which Stephen spoke. Look at the first part. Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. You know, when people say that this power was only for the first 12 apostles, I don't understand whether people are, whether they can't read. Stephen wasn't an apostle. Stephen wasn't even a ministry gift. He was a deacon. The Bible says, and he was full of grace and power and was performing amazing miracles among the people. Because the Bible doesn't say these signs will follow them that are apostles. It says these signs will follow who? Everyone who believes. In my name they'll cast out devils. They'll speak with new tongues. They'll lay their hands on the sick and the sick will recover. They'll handle uh, serpents with safety. We're going to do that on Thursday night. I'm bringing a bunch of poisonous snakes. We're going to pass them around and run the revival down to about five people. And if they drink any deadly thing, it will not harm them. So that wasn't for apostles. That's half the problem with people. They have God do one thing through them, and the next week they have business cards printed up in a five-button suit. I gave someone a prophecy. I'm a prophet. Just because you have ice cream in the freezer doesn't make you the dairy queen. Amen. <laughs> These things are not special for special people. They're available for everyone who believes. There's a, there's a young man, I told this story yesterday, I think, seven years old at our church, and he's on fire for God. He, 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 he came to both all-night prayers. And when I say all-night, we started praying at 11 p.m. and finished at 6 a.m. My daughter <laughs> cast your chips in at 2 a.m. 
I was walking around praying. I saw just, you know, kids fall asleep just wherever they ran out of energy, like a Civil War veteran just dropped on the, on the ground. She was out and uh, no blanket or nothing, just out cold. Her friend was right next to her, out cold. This kid, Tristan, was walking around praying, independent from his parents, praying in tongues like this, serious look on his face. And so I was so proud of him. When I walked by him at 4.15, I waved at him. I said, man, Preston, you're still praying. And he looked annoyed that I snapped him out of prayer. He went, yes, and then, and then went, back, went back to praying. So, so, so what happens when people do that? Is that just a show? No. The Bible says, he that prays in an unknown tongue speaks mysteries unto man, but he speaks direct. Listen to that now. He that speaks in an unknown tongue speaks mysteries unto men, but he speaks directly to God and buildeth himself up, edifies himself. Some of our friends in another denomination, they teach that when people spoke in tongues in Acts chapter 2, that was a one-time thing for evangelism, that tongues was given so that people that hadn't heard the gospel could hear it in their language. But if you believe that, you have a problem because in Acts 19, the Bible says that Paul met several believers, Acts 19, 1 through 7, and when he laid his hands on them, they spoke in other tongues. There were about 12 men in all. Well, who were they evangelizing? Paul? The only people that was there were that, those 12 and Paul. So if, the, if tongues was for evangelism, then you got another problem. The verse I quoted, 1 Corinthians 14. He that speaks in an unknown tongue, it's not for people. You speak a mystery unto man, but you speak directly to God and build yourself up. I'm, while I'm on this roll about the Holy Ghost, let me just clear that part up. Because people confuse, this is where a lot of confusion has come in about being baptized in the Holy Ghost and speaking in tongues. They confuse the language you receive when you're filled with the Holy Ghost. That's a personal prayer language. With the, the gift of tongues, which is separate and has a different set of rules. The Bible says, let, if you do that gift, let one speak in tongues and another interpret. But then, if that's how it's always supposed to be, in Acts chapter 2, they all spoke in tongues. You don't hear Peter say, hey, one at a time. Then someone interpret. Acts chapter 10, even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Ghost fell on all who heard the message, and they were all speaking in tongues. Peter said, oh, one at a time. No, that's their prayer language. Then there's the gift of tongues, where someone gives. The church I grew up in in, in um, Houston, Pennsylvania, there were a bunch of Hungarian and Polish immigrants there that worked in the steel factory. So they had, I'll tell you the whole story. The church only had 40-some people, and it grew to 500 in one month. And you know how? They were having regular Sunday service. Old lady pops up, gives a message in tongues, then interprets her own message in tongues. Thus saith the Lord, begin to believe me for 500 people. And they did, and at the end of the month, there were 500 at the end of that month from 40 to 500. That was in the 1970s. Well, when that 500 came in at the end of the month, um, someone gave a message in tongues. And they waited for the interpretation. No one interpreted it. And then as they waited, they heard some lady whimpering. And she got up from her seat and came to the altar and began to pray. They found out that woman was from Poland. She didn't speak any English, couldn't understand anything that was going on in the service. And when that person gave the message in tongues, she heard in Polish, Jesus told her, I love you. You must receive me. Repent. Come to the altar and repent. So when you hear people criticize altar calls, uh, Jesus gives altar calls. Amen. <laughs> gave one that day. 
And the lady came down and gave her life to the Lord. That, that service blew up. You know, they actually did a, a retrospective at that church. I moved away from there when I was a kid. And they had all the older people that were in that meeting, 80s and older, who were like 20 at the time, tell how the church grew. You should have heard them talk because you wouldn't see that in that Assemblies of God. You wouldn't see anything like it now. But you, they testified that one lady said, oh, one Sunday we brought, I brought a visitor and pastor asked her to stand up to pray for her. And when he came down off the platform to pray, the Spirit of God picked her up and threw her two pews back. You don't have to convince people that God's real when they wake up in another row. Can you say amen? So these things are done. The Bible says in Acts chapter 5 that no one would dare join the meeting, though they all held them in high regard. They knew those people are not having some kind of religious service. The power of God is in that place. They serve, they're not serving an idol. They're not praying to a statue. They're serving the creator of heaven and earth, and he meets them in that place. That's going to be said at these meetings this week. You're not just going to hear about God. You are going to have an encounter with God that's going to change your life forever. If you believe it, can you say, I receive it? We don't need less of the Holy Ghost. We need more of the Holy Ghost. Can you say amen? My Uncle Ted was preaching, and um, at, he put his tent up. And uh, I can't remember where he was. It was Buffalo or, or Rhode Island. So he's preaching, and there's a guy that has his head set down in his, in his clavicle bones like this. And so when he saw him, the Lord spoke to my Uncle Ted right in the middle of the message to go pray for him. So he did. He said, sir, would you mind if I pray for you? And the best he could have shook his head, yes. Well, what people don't know is if a tent evangelist asks permission to pray for you, he's getting your consent to physically assault you. He's not going to say like a soft prayer. He's going he's gonna, to he's gonna make the thing happen one way or another. So he took the guy's head and went to put it where it should be, which he didn't know that the guy had had an inch and a half of vertebrae in his neck removed from an accident, and they stabilized his head on his collarbones, and the doctor said if he ever moves his head, um, it'll snap his spinal cord, and he'll die. So be careful he stays like that. So, when, you know, my uncle didn't know that. I think sometimes God gives you a miracle just to keep you out of prison. So he picks the guy's head up, and the wife gasped. You know, eyes got real big. She got ready to tell my uncle, you know, hey, you can't do that. So then as my uncle looks at her to ask her what the problem was, holding his head, he felt the inch and a half of vertebrae grow back under his fingers. So when you're a faith preacher, you're supposed to act like you've, it's not your first rodeo and just say, praise the Lord. But then sometimes God does things that you can't pretend that you've seen it before. So he said, whoa, crying. She said, whoa, and my Uncle Ted said, whoa. Everybody began to clap. And then everybody say, God's not finished. God's not finished. Just like when Satan attacks, it's like keeps going if you don't put a stop to it. Somebody dies, the spouse ends up on antidepressants, they stop going to church, the kids quit serving the Lord. It's like the devil will use one attack to just blister through the whole family. Same with a miracle. A miracle is like throwing a rock in a pond. The ripples go out. So what happened was when, his, when those bones grew back under his neck, there was a little girl that was sitting behind him that was eight years old. And, you know, they were in like the hour and a half mark of the service. Well, when you're an adult, they, society trains you don't stare at people that have disabilities. But when you're eight, you stare. And you sketch it in the hymnal. 
You put it on TikTok, put hashtag no neck. So this, this young lady, sorry about that. This young lady is sitting behind this guy, staring at his neck, his non-existent neck for an hour and a half. Now he has a neck. So when my uncle looks, the, the Spirit of the Lord draws my uncle's attention to her. She's sitting forward on her seat and her eyes are like glassy, half like tears coming out. Because, you know, she saw a miracle. And when God directed my uncle's attention to her, the Lord gave my uncle the other thing to say. He said, little girl, would you like to feel what a miracle feels like? She shook her head, yes. He said, touch his neck. When she touched his neck, whatever residue of the glory of God was still on his neck shot into her body, and she threw her head back and started yelling out in tongues. Well, if you were a Pentecostal parent, and your little girl started yelling out in tongues. You might out of reaction squeeze her arm or you know, do something quieter just out of shock. Well, her parents weren't Pentecostal. They weren't Baptist. They were her father, just her father was there that night. He was a Muslim, full beard. They came that night because they're not opposed to healing meetings. So when his daughter yells out in tongues, he grabbed her arm. You know, just out of shock and kind of the quiet. He didn't know what was going on. Well, the way you stop live wire is not by grabbing it. When he grabbed her arm, his head shot back, and he began to speak in tongues. They both came to the altar to receive Jesus Christ. And the next night of the meeting, him, the daughter, all of his sons and the wife, they took up a whole row, were there. And when they gave the altar call, this is what I'm talking about. When you do ministry, right, it's not, it's not boring. He came, he came in the row first, then like a traffic cop, waved the whole family down and told them all where to go at the altar. Can you say Amen. These are, th this is something that God gave the church called the power of the Holy Spirit. The weapons of our warfare. Look at what the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit. He's not a comfort in the storm. He's a weapon to destroy the storm. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. There's nothing the devil has done to you that God can't do something about it tonight. Because the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty. They're the things, hallelujah, they're the things of the Spirit, spiritual gifts. So what has church turned into? You tell the pastor that your kid's having a problem with their mind. Oh, I know a place they can go get counseling. The church has basically turned into a referral station. You need help with kidneys. I know of a kidney specialist. Your son's depressed. I know a depression. Your, your daughter's on heroin. I know a good methadone clinic. Where do you see Jesus um, uh, refer tough cases to other specialists. No, you won't see it. They brought unto him all the sick, and no matter what their sickness or what their disease, or if they were possessed by evil spirits, possessed, not oppressed, if they had demons in them, one touch from his hand healed them all. Then what did Jesus say? Then he said, now listen, guys, don't get all worked up seeing me do this because soon I'm going to go to heaven and this is all going to stop. And I want you just to tell stories about what I used to do and what I'll do one day in heaven. No, he actually said the exact opposite. It, you think it's better for you if I stay than if I go. But it's actually more beneficial for you if I go than if I stay. For if I stay, I cannot send another. He is the Holy Spirit who is with you now, but later will live in you. When he lives in you, the same work. It was a same work. same work. The same work that you see me do, you will do and greater. Not don't try to do the work I do. 
Watch what I do. Do what I do. And when you do, hallelujah, the same results that you see me have, you'll have those results. Because I'm the head, and you're my body. You're my hands extended. You're my feet. You're my mouthpiece. When you go in my name, I'll give you power over the devil to set your generation free. That's what's going to come out of this meeting. Out of this meeting shall emerge men and women that just don't know about God. They carry God's power to a hurting and dying and broken generation. Somebody say, that's me. That's right. That is you. That's why I'm here. Devil's going to have the worst year he's ever had in Tennessee. This state has always carried God's presence. Some of the biggest Christian meetings that have ever been had in the country. This isn't the biggest populated state in the country. Tennessee people have always honored God in this state. I'm sure there's a few rascals who didn't. But you know, you're having, you're having tent meetings in Tennessee with over 10,000 people in a town of 25,000. Those are God-fearing people. Tennessee's one of those states that even the, the heathen people fear God. They sell meth, but if, if their friend uses the Lord's name in vain, they'll say, hey, we don't talk like that. <laughs> you can deal meth, but don't take the Lord's name in vain. Can you say amen? amen. God has a blessing for Tennessee. God has a blessing for Tennessee this week. God will touch this state. I've been watching on the news this year, little, little flare-ups of the devil in Tennessee messing with, with this state. Anytime you see when the devil starts messing, God starts blessing. The devil's not going to wreck this state. God's going to wreck the devil's power in this state, and Tennessee will be shaken by the power of God in Jesus' mighty name. If you receive that with me, take those two hands one more time. Clap them, all ye people. Shout unto God. With the voice of triumph, the devil is defeated. Jesus Christ is King of Kings. And Lord of Lords. And I got the easiest job on planet Earth. Just tell people about Jesus. R.W. Shambach, who I keep bringing up, said if you brag about Jesus long enough, he shows up. What's this kid telling people? He likes when you tell people how mighty he is. How great he is. Hallelujah. Hair white like wool. Eyes like flames of fire. Feet like bronze refined in the furnace. You think Jesus is black or white? He's bronze. Tells you his feet are like bronze refined in the furnace. No group of people. Everywhere you go to preach. You go preach in Asia, there's Asian Jesus. Go preach in Puerto Rico, there's Puerto Rican Jesus. Go preach in white churches. He's got the same haircut as Joe Montana from 1985. Everybody wants to make him their own, but he stands alone by himself. Can you say amen? He's the lamb that was slain for every tribe, every tongue, every nation, and every race. And he hasn't lost his power. And this isn't time for the devil to take over. This is the devil trying to go past his bounds, but this isn't his time. While the church is here, the church is in charge. Actually, all the things that were done, 2020 through 2022, necessitated the closing down of the church. Because where light is, darkness leaves for free. So you notice churches shut down in March... By May, the country was on fire. We are the restrainer. Meetings like this mess stuff up. I guarantee you there's three witches in the woods somewhere wondering why they can't get anything to work right. Because we're here. Can you say amen? 
Yeah, you flip the lights on, the cockroaches leave without any invitation. And so you shut the light off, the cockroaches move in, but the light's been turned back on in Tennessee. God's doing a, a mighty move this week. Can you say amen? I told you I was in California last week. I was doing a morning service like we're doing here, teaching on the gifts of the Spirit, 10 a.m. And uh, I just felt quickened to give an altar call. It was a day teaching service on the gifts of the Spirit, not an evangelistic meeting, 10 a.m. Uh, Wednesday. I said, if anybody's here and they've never received Jesus Christ, lift your hand and I'll pray with you. Three people lifted their hand. Of the three, two had never been to church before. So I talked to the one lady. She had a big bandage, 23 years old, had a big bandage on her neck. And she said, um, I got diagnosed with thyroid cancer. And they said, it's serious. And I was just saying, God, this is in Southern California, you know, supposed home of the devil. But his home's in hell, not in Southern California. Can you say amen? Yeah. So I, uh, she said, I was just thinking, God, I need help if you're out there. And she said, I went through Instagram. I don't run Instagram ads. I don't have paid ads. I'm not against that, but I just don't. And she said, your, your feed popped up in my feed. And she said, I looked and I thought, well, I like what this guy's saying about healing and stuff. Wonder if he ever comes to California. And I saw that you're in my town. Now you tell me that's not the Lord. And she came, got saved, and was in every service the rest of the week. Okay, and, and I'm looking forward to a good, you said, what happened? I don't know, it was three days ago. So the MRIs aren't back yet. Can you say amen? But I expect a good report. I expect a miracle. I expect a miracle for you tonight. I'm not telling you these stories to get you hyped up. There's nothing the devil's done to you that God can't do something about it tonight. There's nothing the devil's done to your family that God can't do something about it tonight. I'm going to tell you a couple of stories, then I'll show that video, just to illustrate what I'm saying. This is my friend, uh, Devin. He runs the best sound company in the country, and, and I'm not saying that because he's here. He's here because I believe that, and so I didn't want to have a voice like I heard a lot of preachers have where you sound like you gargled with cement for 60 years every morning when you woke up, so he, he sets the sound, and it keeps me fresh and uh, don't have to strain my voice or anything. So he's my new sound man. Before I knew him, we started doing crusades, open air crusades in the worst parts of the United States, in the worst parts of the country. Now the country wouldn't have high crime, but we would like go to where there was the highest heroin overdose rates in the country. Put up a stage and preach like it was 1840s India and nobody had ever heard about Jesus before and then pray for people. And so I hired this sound man who wasn't a Christian. He was actually Billy Joel, the rocker from the 80s. He was his sound man. I don't really care. Now, as far as, don't take my words wrong. I want everybody to be a Christian and go to heaven. But as far as work goes, I want the person who does the best job. So like when we, when we charter a plane, I want the two best pilots. If you're getting ready to go into the side of a mountain, I don't want to hear how much you pray every day. I want to hear you being able, in fact, if I catch you praying in the cockpit, it's going to make me nervous. So this guy wasn't a Christian. He was a super nice guy. He was in his 50s. He had a gray ponytail. And he was in four weeks of our crusades and never asked me to pray for him or anything. He was very respectful. Every night when I finished preaching, I'd hand him the mic. He'd give me the thumbs up. And I could just tell in my spirit, it was like, this is your thing. This is nice that you do that for these people. You know how like, uh, I could, and I'm, I'm just telling you what I'm picking up in my spirit. He didn't say any of this. But you know how heathen people are. It's like, no, that's good. You know, churches are good for the community. A lot of people need that. But he was disconnected. And, uh, but he did good sound. And that's really all I cared about. 
I grew up in Pentecostal church where every time the speaker was always crackling, the mic didn't work, the devil's attacking the sound system. It's amazing how when you spend more than $80 on a sound system, how the devil stops attacking. <laughs> so we were in this one, me one meeting in Clarksburg, West Virginia, and um, these people got saved. They were a couple. This is how out in the country we were. When they filled out the salvation card, it said address, you know, so good ship them a Bible and all that. Their address was a tent by the creek. Well, I don't know if that's a 911 compliant address <laughs> or not. We were out in the, the woods. So this guy and his girlfriend that lived in a tent by the creek and were on heroin and stuff, she was born with cerebral palsy and had never walked in her whole life. She was in her 30s. Not only that, if you don't move your muscles, nothing forms. So she had the skeletal constitution of a jellyfish. Her head, her head hung. Every, you know, there was just no form to her because nothing formed. Muscles never developed. So they get saved. They went to a I never preached any nights on marriage. They, went to, they said, we were laying in the tent next to each other and thought, this doesn't feel right. Kenneth Hagin said, when you're out of the will of God, it feels like showering with your socks on. Something doesn't feel right. <laughs> they said, this doesn't feel right. And they went to the justice of the peace and got married without anybody telling them to. That's the Holy Ghost. So then Friday I announced, I'm gonna I preached on wonders of the anointing and said, I'm going to anoint everybody with oil and, and pray for whoever wants it. So that we were in an outside amphitheater. There was no room to give an altar call or anything. So I said, or line people up for prayer. So I said, if you want prayer, stand up. If you don't want prayer, no problem, just sit down. And that'll be my sign. If you stand up, you're consenting to prayer. If you're sitting down, I know you don't want prayer. Well, when I got to there, they were in the front row. Now I watched, so did the sound man, every night. Wheel her over to her chair, pick her up, and put her in the chair, and then wheel the wheelchair out. So, and you could tell, I mean, she ain't faking. She, 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 she's, she's messed up in her body. Well, obviously, when I came to her in the front row, she was seated, but she can't stand up, so it's not like she was rejecting prayer. So I said, would you like prayer? And she shook her head like this. I anointed her head with oil. I said, be healed in Jesus' name. And she looked up at me and nodded her head like, thank you, and I kept going. And I was like slightly irritated because they should pop up and walk, according to the Bible. But I thought, well, whatever. I keep going. And when I got about three-quarters of the way up the amphitheater, I heard this shout come down from the bottom. Now, when you hear people in church say, when people shout at a football game, how come they can't shout in church? It's not that kind of shout. When people see a miracle, it's not a shout from their emotions. It's a shout out of their spirit. It's, and I've heard the sound before. So when I heard that sound, actually the pastor that I just preached for in California, Michael, he was the usher that was coming with me back then. God gave him his own church for, for helping out, I guess. I just thought of this now. So I said, uh, I said, I said what happened down there? He said, I don't know, but I'll check, sir. So he went down, and then somebody videotaped it. That about eight minutes after the oil went on her head, she stood up, and then her boyfriend took about five steps back and went like this, and she, she took her first steps and went right to him and has been walking since that day upright. She uses a walker, but she's not in a wheelchair, and then her muscles are getting stronger. Now, I said that because that night, I was exhausted. I preached in the heat. It was 90-some degrees outside. Walked, prayed for everybody. And then I went up and went to hand the mic to the sound guy. And he wasn't even looking at me. He had his phone out, 
videoing the lady with tears, this big rocker, with tears rolling down his face. And I, I was holding the money, and I, 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 said, I said, hey, that was pretty great, huh? He went, this is awesome. I said, I know, I've been trying to tell you for four weeks. So we talked about, because that town only had 16,000 people, 16,200. We had 2,200 and some people saved the first week. And it was starting to have an impact. They were telling, in fact, it came back to me that nobody, there's a bar, you know, you need, you need if you're in a town that small at the bar, you can't be having 2,200 people crossed off the list. So that bar was empty. It was starting to have like an effect on the town. The cops were happy. Dealers got saved. Addicts got saved. Drug dealers got saved and renounced. In fact, one, one night, a guy, you could tell he was a meth dealer. Number one, he didn't have a shirt on. Number two, he was sweaty. Number three, he walked to the altar super fast. Must have been sampling some of the product. Meth dealers go to the altar fast. Heroin dealers go. I never, I never preached at a church where drug jokes go over so well. <laughs> you people are all right. So because all that happened, that was the first time. You know, if you get a meeting extended at a church, then the pastor says, want to go another week. It's no big deal. But when you rent an amphitheater for 60000 a week, and, you know, I was paying for everything, and I hardly had any money. It took all my faith to get it for week one. The pastor said, what do you think about going a second week? I was like, well... We'll figure out how to get, get the money. This does need to go a second week. Then I went online. I found out if you sell one of your kidneys on the black market in China, you can get 70-some thousand dollars. So woke up in a La Quinta Inn with a couple of Chinese guys next to me in a bathtub covered in ice and got it covered with an only God can judge me tattoo, and we went a second week. So because we were talking about going week two, and that guy had heard that, and obviously we were going to need sound the second week, he said, if you, it, he said, are you going to go a second week? This is the unsafe sound man. He goes, I think you should go a second week. <laughs> he said, my son, I just texted him. He said, he's a good kid, but he got an injury, and they put him on Vicodin, and he ended up addicted to pills. And he said, we've put him through rehab a few times, but he can't break the addiction. But I just texted him before I got up. He said, uh, I told him that you guys are going to go another week. And um, he said he'd be able to be here by Tuesday. And he said, I really think if he came, Jesus would touch him. Wow. And then he said, would you pray for me? He said, I, I always believed in God, but I, he said, I get it now. I said, sure. Grabbed his hands. He cried and prayed. And many believed on him, seeing the miracles that he did. In this way, have I fully presented the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not in word only, but in power. Resurrection power. Here's the other one. This lady was 97 pounds. I have this on video. And um, I can't remember. I don't want to confuse two stories. One of the ladies saw Miracle Service and clicked on it on YouTube. And she, I think, was trying to watch something else, but I was in her feed. And she clicked it by accident and then listened. Now, this lady is 97 pounds. She has no, her central nervous system is shut down. You'll see, you'll see the picture. She's a breathing corpse. Everything that can be wrong. She has to be carried to the toilet. She's bedridden. She has to be carried 
to, uh, to the shower, bath, bathtub, 24-hour 20, 20 care in her 30s. And um, now check, check this. She finds me on YouTube and starts listening. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the so there's two ways to interpret that. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, continual hearing. And then another uh, scholar said the second hearing connotates in the original language understanding. I like both of them. Continually hear the word of God and then hearing and understanding the word of God. So think of that. That guy had been in 20, what did I do, five, six nights a week? So that guy had been in 24 of my meetings and didn't understand. You know, he heard, but he didn't understand. Then when it was fully, oh, I get it now. And now he's an evangelist telling his son to drive from New Jersey to West Virginia so that he can get healed. I believe that God will heal my son off of drugs. There's people that have been in church 35 years that don't believe that kind of thing. So you don't have, it's not about being in it a long time. It's about getting faith in God's word. Then once you get that, the devil's in bad shape. Remember I told that story about that kid Tristan praying all night? I told that because his mom, after half night prayer, took him to the grocery store in the morning. He's seven. And there's an older lady shopping in the aisle. And he said, Mom, I feel to go pray for that lady. So she led him. And he walked over, and the mom watched and filmed it. And he asked the lady, he said, would you mind if I prayed for you? She said, sure, in Pennsylvania. And she stretched her hands forth, and he grabbed her hands and prayed, a prayer of blessing over her. And she started crying and hugged him, then walked over to the mother and said, you'll never know what that did for me today. Like, like, like not to be nice, she was crying. So who knows what she was going through, but Jesus knows what everybody's going through. But he needs somebody. He needs somebody that'll be his hands and feet extended. And you can't have empty hands laying them on empty heads. Your hand has to have power from heaven. But you're going to leave this meeting tonight. Your hands aren't going to be empty. Your hands are going to be unregistered, dangerous weapons for the kingdom of God. And the devil's in for a bad year in Jesus' mighty name. So I'm going to play this. You can see this happened at our church. And um, we started the church in January of last year. We broke 1,000 in September just doing this kind of stuff, letting God move, where you don't have to go to a, a, a retreat or a summer camp to have an encounter with God. When I brought you the gospel, it was not in word only, but in power. Can't give your lesson, zip up your Bible, and go shake hands at the back. There needs to be, on Sunday morning, an encounter with God. Don't waste people's time. People, I'm not wasting your time. You know, it's like you can tell whether you like me or not. I'm giving you 100%. It's like, well, you know, I know it's humid in here, so we'll just be very short. Just have a couple of thoughts I'd like to share before I get People worked all day. You come to hear some, you know, attempt at a sermon. Sorry, I was cycling through words that couldn't necessarily be said in church. So I settled on that, the sentence I used. I want you to see how raw this power is. And it's available for you. So I'm not playing this so you can see a miracle that happened last month or, or last summer. I'm playing this because I preach faith into you. I've told stories to, to, to spark your faith. What God does for one, he'll do for anyone. And here's what happens with people, because I've been doing this for 21 years. Do you believe God can do anything? Yes. What do you have? Diabetes. Um, yes, I do believe God can do anything. Can he heal diabetes, though? So you notice, the devil doesn't mind if you have, like, general faith. I believe God can do anything. But my daughter, she's so lost. So then when it comes to your thing, yeah, generally God can do anything. But my situation's different. 
My kidneys are totally shut down. The doctor said there's no hope. So all the devil doesn't mind if you generally believe God, just as long as you don't have specific faith for your situation. But God can do anything for anyone who will simply believe him. That's what you're going to hear from this 97-pound woman. All she did was believe. She wasn't even in the church. She was listening on YouTube. And in one month, watch what Jesus did. Go ahead and roll it. Look at her. Pause it real quick. Elon Musk is about to launch a video platform, so if this gets me kicked off YouTube, I don't really care because I'm sick of them anyway. So whoever's monitoring me from the Silicon Valley with a purple crew cut, I'm sticking by what I said. I had a ministry before YouTube. I'll have one after YouTube. You heard her say, my, my central nervous system was destroyed by years of harmful medication. Basically, if you don't get healed, then you're just going to end up a victim of a few companies in this nation that make you a continual client of their medicines. And people start off on one medication. Did you know the United States consumes 80% of the pharmaceuticals in the world? That's how all the money, the money, the country used to make its money on steel. I'm sure in Jackson, Tennessee, I didn't get a chance to look up the history. What did Jackson, uh, what, what, what formed Jackson? What were they, what did they do here? Manufacturing or what? What was the main thing? Everybody dropped out of school? That's fine. I, I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> But you know, that's, America was built on things like mining and steel and ship construction and things like that. What did you say? Moonshine. Yeah, okay, moonshine. <laughs> that's what my grandfather did before he got saved. You know how the moonshiners would have kids drive the truck? Because then if they got busted, they couldn't get prosecuted? That's what my grandfather did before he got saved. He was a 10-year-old moonshine delivery man. And he said when he took his driver's test, they said, pull back the car up. And he said, just out of reaction, he threw his arm around the instructor and whipped it back. And the guy went, how long have you been driving? He went, how long does it say on that permit? I've been driving for six years. Interstate driving. So America used to be built on like actual things that produce wealth, oil, natural gas, that kind of stuff. Now, everywhere you drive, all the billboards, Healthcare network, so-and-so healthcare network, so-and-so hospital system. We're not against doctors or nurses. My mom's side of the family is mostly all nurses. We're not against anybody who tries to help people. But there's a difference between that. It's the pharmaceutical. Now, if you, pharmaceutical companies, I would have a hard time saying that. Now, we're not against people in the pharmaceutical company. I'm sort of against you. Because it's gone from giving things to people to help them. Take this for three months and you'll get off. It goes from one to now I can't digest my food. Here's something for digestion. Now I can't sleep at night. Here's something to sleep. Having trouble waking up. Here's something to wake up. And before you know it, somebody has a little see-through, sea uh, blue pill box, S-M-T-W-T-H-F-S-A. And it's pre-packed with 17 medications. Now think of this. They tell you you're not supposed to take Tylenol every day. So how, like if you were here last night, how do you put a woman that's that thin on Suboxone? It'll kill her. But they know if you're not rich enough, you can't get an attorney. You can't do anything about it. And then one day, 20 years after you take it, there's a commercial on The Price is Right. Did you take this medicine? Call it right now. We might be able to get you $71 in a class action settlement. They don't care. They're making billions of dollars. That's what the whole fact. All right, I'll quit while I'm ahead. It's like legal drug sales. It's basically like a way, like a better way business-wise to sell drugs. 
Rather than carry nine millimeters and, and wear hooded sweatshirts, we'll wear white shirts, we'll make deals with the government, and we'll pump pharmaceuticals into the American population to make billions of dollars and pay off Republicans and Democrats to do it. But guess what? Jesus didn't come so you could be a victim of Pfizer and Johnson and Johnson. He shed his blood so you can be free from every sickness, every disease by his blood. All right, I'll try not to interrupt the video anymore. Play, play the rest. Feeling to control anything in my body. I convulsed for months at a time. Convulsed It got to the time. point where it was too, uh, too strenuous for three people to take me to the bathroom. At 33, three, I was 30, in adult diapers. I was completely hopeless. I was unable to sleep, couldn't feed myself. Uh, I couldn't read. One day I was on YouTube. It said miracle service, just a, a picture and it had Pastor Jonathan. I became borderline obsessive with Revival Today. I downloaded each app. I would turn on the 24 hour broadcast and just stick it under my pillow at night. And I would have Pastor Jonathan screaming in my ear all night. In the month Pause of January, I slept only 10 hours. I know I preach differently, but now think of this. If somebody like that's listening to me, what if I was preaching? I mean, no, we go through storms and we don't know why. We don't know what God's plan in this is. God doesn't teach through destruction. He teaches through instruction. He never, Jesus never laid his hand on healthy people and made them sick. He laid his hands on the sick and made them well. Go ahead. And so I should have um, had so many seizures that I would have died. That's what the doctor said. But I have Pastor Jonathan screaming in my ear. And so I became completely immersed. The word of God is living and active. And it was active, working in me. I didn't feel anything. I didn't see anything. The Bible doesn't lie. And to Pastor Jonathan will say, when you quote God, you're never wrong. I continued to speak the word of God, and I also learned how to pray. I don't know if any of you guys do afternoon prayer, but it is vital. I learned how to speak to the mountain, to speak to the circumstances, and at that point, I couldn't read. All I could do was listen. Not Finally, I started function. seeing some change. I decided, you know what? I'm not doing this wheelchair anymore, and so I instead had a walker and I would use the walker and still very much struggled and I would beg people to take me to revival today I said if I could just go she lives if in upstate I could New York. just get into the tangible the presence of God if I could just go I finally convinced one of my caretakers to take me here in September when we pulled in there wasn't a parking lot here. And so we pull in and it's all rocky. And I'm thinking, how am I going to roll this stupid thing over here? So I tell my, my person, I said, just park here, get into the back. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's a long walk. But I felt the presence of God. I walked in and just looking, I felt the Holy Ghost just like a wall. It hit me and I just began to just tears and it was like, I just felt the Holy Ghost, like putting my faith in action. And I knew that the Lord was meeting me where I was at. Afterwards, Evangelist Kofi laid hands on me and he prayed that God would expedite the healing work that had already become. So that was the uh, first week in September. So 
here I am today. And that was the last day that I used a walker. The last day I used a walker. And I drove myself here. God made a way where there seemed to be no way. I drove myself. I carried luggage on the, to the second floor of a hotel. I took the stairs just because I could take the stairs. And I walked here and I parked really far away too. Have, when you can, let me have he's a miracle working gun. You ain't going to hear anything like that in a Buddhist temple. I'm going to hear that come out of a mosque. But Jesus is alive. When you tell people about him, he moves. He has what's called resurrection life. Lazarus didn't have blood pressure problems. Lazarus had no blood. Blood pressure was zero over zero. He was blind in both eyes. He was deaf in both ears and immobile from the skull down. He was dead. And Jesus said, Lazarus, come here. And he came right out of the tomb alive. He didn't walk out like a mummy. They wrapped him in a sheet. Before he could take one more step, they had to, they had to unwrap him, loose him and let him go. So think of that. Bound like this, when Jesus called him out, life came in his body and pulled his body out of the tomb. I am the resurrection. I am the life. They that believe in me, though they're dead, yet shall they live. Now, I'll tell you one more thing. I'll leave you alone for the night. I went down to um, New Orleans a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago, and the man that I was with took me to the Mississippi River and told me when the last hurricane hit that the Mississippi River flowed north for several days. And when I was talking to him, I said, that's, that's amazing. I said, I don't know if you got the top engineers with an unlimited budget if they could reverse the flow of the Mississippi River. He said, no, I don't think so. So I, I, and then we were talking and he said, think of this. Jesus demonstrated that he has power over storms. So storms have more power than people have because a storm <laughs> to, to reverse the flow of that river and made it go in the other direction. And Jesus is stronger than the storm. So with that fresh in my spirit, Sunday after church, when I got back from New Orleans, there was a man in the hospital Actually, his son just asked if I'd pray that his dad wouldn't have any pain because they told him he's going to die. But I had a feeling when he texted me, I said, no, let me come by and pray for him. I don't always feel that way. Sometimes people have to go. It's a point under man wants to die and after that the judgment. But I, I felt to come pray. And so when I stood there, that's what I told his dad. I said, you know, I just got back from New Orleans. Did you know the last hurricane that hit reversed the flow of the Mississippi River? And he's looking at me like, why did you send someone here to tell me a boring story about the Mississippi River when I'm dying? And I said, did you know Jesus has power over that storm? I said, so if a storm can make the, the Mississippi River flow in the other direction, I said, don't you believe that Jesus can make your organs start flowing in the other direction? Where instead of shutting down, they start kicking back to life? And I told him what I just told you. It's what made me think about it, that Lazarus had no organ function. He didn't have failing kidneys. He had failed kidneys. Everything was done. And one word, they didn't have to pray all night. Lazarus, come out. And immediately he came out. I said, Jesus hasn't changed. So I stood at the foot of his bed. I didn't even lay hands on him. I said, in the name of Jesus, I command everything to reverse course in your body. Thank you for healing my friend, O Lord, in Jesus' name. And then I finished that simple prayer. Uh, talked to the son for a while. Talked to them. Told him I loved him. And I left the hospital room. And the son texted me 
two days later and said, they just discharged my dad from the hospital to go home. It reversed. There's nothing the devil's... I actually took out a billboard in Pittsburgh, $4,000 a month a little while back, just so everybody could read that on the highway. There's nothing the devil has done to you that God can't do something about it today. Everybody say today. Today. That's the other thing you got to get. Not over time. Where's, uh, Where's my healing book? I know you have to move the product table because there's people which I'm fine with. Dominion over sickness and disease. This is a book I wrote three months that was published three months before COVID came out because I could already tell there was a weakness in preachers about healing. So the last section of the book is why you can expect to be healed now. Because that's the last hurdle people have to cross. They've agreed with everything I said. Well, I believe, yeah, okay, God can heal. I believe he'll do it in his time. His time is now. Hebrews 11.1. Now faith is. Can't have faith in the past. You can't have faith for the future. You have faith. You take it now by faith. So I wrote six reasons why you can expect to be healed now. Proverbs 3.27-28. Do not keep good. This is God talking. Do not keep good from those who should have it when it's in your power to do it. Listen to that. That's the scripture. Don't hold back good from someone when it's in your power to do it. Don't tell your neighbor, go and return tomorrow and I'll give it to you when you have it in your power to do it today. Do not plan for your neighbor to be hurt while he trusts you enough to live beside you. The sixth reason why you can expect God to heal you today. When God teaches us or gives us instruction, he's directing us to act like him and think like him. If it's in your power to help someone, don't tell them to come back tomorrow. Help them now. Is it in God's power to help you today? Is it in God's power to help you today? Is God a hypocrite? No, he's not. Then he won't tell you to come back tomorrow. He'll help you today. And by help, I mean heal you today. Can you say amen? Amen. The word immediately is used 55 times in the Bible. All of them are in the New Testament. The vast majority in the miracle, deliverance, and healing ministry of Jesus, the disciples, the apostles, and the book of Acts church. And immediately the man saw. And immediately the boy both heard and spoke. There's anti-miracle preaching in, in churches. I mean, we want things right now, but God's a God of process. Where's that in the Bible? Where is that in the Bible? Telling people God's a God of process. God, he'll make you a new creature the day you call on his name. You can come the most drug-addled person in Tennessee. And when you come to the altar, God, I know you want me to deliver you right now, but I'm a God of process. No, I read in the Bible, there was a man with 6,000 demons. And when Jesus stepped on the shore... A shockwave of the anointing must have gone out. And that man came and bowed at Jesus' feet and worshipped him. And within one paragraph, one paragraph, same day. It was the same day. He was clothed in his right mind and asking if he could go into the ministry. Jesus said, don't travel with me. Go back to the town and tell everyone what I've done. That's one day. You study it for yourself. Don't make any difference to me. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Find me anybody that came to Jesus and still had the same problem 24 hours later. You won't find any. He healed them. He, even the guy that came back seeing uh, men as trees walking came back the same day. Jesus ministered to him a second time and his eyes became clear. Stop 
overvaluing how bad your problem is and start realizing you don't have any trouble. All you need is faith in God. And your faith in God will move every mighty mountain tonight in Jesus' mighty name. I'm going to tell you the things I'm telling you. It's not even what you're supposed to say as an evangelist. I'm going to say, now, if you'll come back every day, Friday night, God's going to touch you. I'm going to pray for everybody. That's how you're supposed to build the crowd. But I don't care. People need help now. Jesus didn't say, if you come back to Capernaum every day that I'm here, I'll heal you. He'd start healing them right off the bat. Stand up and just start healing. Go find people that were sick. Go find a woman. Wasn't even his meeting. There was a woman bent double in the temple when Jesus saw her and knew how long she had been that way. He touched her and she stood straight up. Oh, how she praised God! Exclamation point. God didn't get glory from her sickness. He got glory from her healing. You, you saw that on that video. How I many know many times God's glorified when we go? No. When he got glory, when that woman shared that calm testimony, she put 700 people on their feet, clapping and praising God. Young people rejoicing. Miracles point people to Jesus. Miracles draw in masses of people. There's going to be people that leave this meeting, people that are watching online. When your family sees the change in you, the ones that didn't even believe in God are going to have to say there is a Jesus because nobody could do that for my family member but them. That, that sound man got faith. When he saw that happened to that woman? He said, "I something hit him. When the rock hits the pond, the ripples go out. She walked and he thought, you know what? If Jesus can do that, I don't think my son has to die with pill addiction somewhere. That same power that gave her a skeleton and muscles will knock fentanyl addiction or heroin addiction. It'll, it'll make your family every wind whole, not by might, not by power, but by the Spirit. Almighty God. Stand on your feet, everybody. Lift both hands to the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, that you're here. Thank you, Jesus. Hey, this is Jonathan Shuttlesworth. I want to thank you for listening to my podcast, or if you're listening to my wife's. Thank you on her behalf. If you want to be more than just a casual listener and stand with us as we take the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ to our generation, go to RevivalToday.com and click Give Now and be a part of the 1,000 monthly partners that we're believing for. I have a special gift that I'll send to you today, and I'll say thank you in advance. Until next time, thanks for listening. See you later.